Welcome to Prajna Sparks, a podcast where we listen to a Dharma talk, contemplate with our minds and in our hearts, and engage in guided meditation. In today's bonus episode, Yeshe welcomes back Tanya to discuss Taylor Swift's new song, Karma. We're grateful to you for sharing and reviewing our podcast as often as you can. You can start right now. Welcome back, Tanya. It's so good to be here. It's always a joy to be with you. I really like when we get to do this together so that everybody can get to uh, join our friendship for a little bit because it's so delightful. I thought we might start with explaining to folks why we're talking about Taylor Swift and her new song. People may not know this about me, but I am a Swifty. I had never heard any Taylor Swift songs until a few years ago. And then I listened to the Holy Swift podcast, which covers one Taylor Swift song every episode. And I listened to all of them. And so now I know Taylor Swift songs in great depth. And so a new album came out last. And there's a song on it called Karma. And I listened to it. And I was like, okay, I have some thoughts about this, having had lots of conversations with you about Buddhism and having practiced for some time, but I still feel very amateurish in terms of trying to understand Buddhist concepts. And so I was like, hey, maybe Yeshe and I could have a conversation about this. So I can sort of be like, this is my take on it. Does that sound right? What can you tell me? What can you teach me? So that's kind of what brought us to this space. I can sort of talk about what I've been thinking about it. I thought, all right, there are some things in here that seem sort of on target in terms of what I think the concept of karma is. You're going to correct me on anything that I'm getting wrong here. But as I understand it, karma is the law of cause and effect. There's definitely stuff in this song that is, you know, sort of representing that idea that there are things that might be positive outcomes of positive behavior, negative outcomes of negative behavior. There's like a a level on which that, that makes sense. The thing that I thought, well, my understanding of karma is it's not always that easy to sort of point to like, oh, you know, you, you did these things and then this is what comes of it. Like exactly what the repercussions are going to be of something. And so I can't necessarily say, look at this thing in my life. This is because of karma. So I'm not sure about that. So I want to know more about that. Then she goes through and she sort of talks about all these different things. Karma is my boyfriend. Karma is a god. Karma is a breeze and my hair on the weekend. There's sort of a lot of very specific things. I'm very curious about your takes on that. But the thing that struck me most about it in terms of being sort of not the way I think about karma from a Buddhist perspective is the tone of it. Because she's really coming at it like, hey, I've got good things in my life because I keep my side of the street clean. Like I, you know, I do good things and therefore good things come from that in my life. You, on the other hand, you know, not that way. And it, there's this schadenfreude kind of aspect of it, like sort of taking delight in someone else's misery, which for me is very not 
my take on what Buddhism's about. So anyway, those are sort of the thoughts that I've been having about it and the questions that I've been having about it. And I am really excited to hear your take. I thought it was very interesting to listen to this song because one of the things that comes up when we do teachings on karma is how it's really sort of gone rogue, the ideas about karma, not karma per se. Karma's got very particular ways of occurring, but people's ideas about karma are really just all over the place on a historical basis for whatever that's worth. It seems to be something that grew out of the pre-Vedic peoples in what's now India. And the Buddha lived in a society where it was really steeped in ideas of karma. By then, it was a very Vedic culture and a very particular ways of talking about karma and understanding it, most of which, if not all of which, he really turned on its head. But then nowadays, there seems to be a mishmash of ideas. Some of them come from incomplete understandings of Buddhism or Hinduism, New Age thought or Instagram posts, and now Taylor Swift songs. So on the one hand, I don't know how much we can hold a song to be doctrinally correct. And I think it's valuable that these things are out there just because it makes people think about it. And I like that. If it makes one person actually say, you know, I wonder what karma is like and go and look into it when they wouldn't have, I'm all for it. If people are going to use this as an understanding of what karma is and how it behaves, at least in a Buddhist context, let's just say it's not the best source for that. You're not going to be pointing people to this as one of the primary teachings on karma? And no, that, that's not on my list. No. A few things that you said, because one of the things that really hit me is just what you said, the tone of the song. Because there are topics that the Buddha teaches that are very accessible, because, for example, we could see it or hear it or smell it. We can have sensory experience of it. Then there are some things that are less accessible because you have to use logic or reasoning to make your way through it. But if you do that, you'll get there. And there are aspects of karma that are like that. But the bulk of the Buddha's teachings on karma are what are called highly inaccessible, meaning that sensory experience, logic and reasoning, these are not things that will really help us to have a accurate understanding of how karma works. And the reason for that is not that anybody's hiding anything. It's that the workings of karma are very intricate. It's not like you do one thing and then later in your life, maybe even the next day or the next week, a specific result arising out of that specific action comes up. Just to give a little taste of the complexity, in the song, she sings about all the things that she's doing in this life to explain why she has such a lovely life. From the perspective of karma in the Buddhist context, what she's experiencing in this life is not the result of anything she's done in this life. It's the result of actions in previous lives. Karma literally means action, specifically intentional action, action that is driven with a particular intent. And again, in the Buddhist context, I'm going to stop saying in the Buddhist context, because I only can speak about this in the Buddhist context. So everything about this is in the Buddhist context. That intention is one of the kleshas, emotions that disturb mind's natural tranquility. And there's lots of different categories of kleshas, but the most broad way to 
explain it is that all kinds of emotions, disturbing minds, natural tranquility that have to do with attachment in some way, those that have to do with aversion in some way, and those that have to do with delusion in some way. So these are three broad terms that sort of cover all of the subcategories that fit into that. Number one, when we're experiencing karmic results, to thrill in them is kind of beside the point. As a matter of fact, one of the best ways to destroy positive karma is to brag about it. It seems like Taylor Swift does have a very privileged life with lots of good things in it. And it's sad uh, to use that as a way to sort of lord it over those who don't. There's a sense of that in the song. There is some non-Buddhist commentary on this song out there as well. And so it could be about a specific person that she's in a feud with that she, you know, is sort of directing it toward. But but it's still, you know, then then it seems particularly that it's, you know, kind of aggressive in her um, expression of it. That kind of behavior does not coincide with keeping your side of the street clean. So there's internal dissonances in the song, even if we take it in its own universe. I don't know how much we can expect a song to be accurate to all of that, unless you wrote the, the lyrics, Tanya. I, I was going <laughs> to say, like, not only if I write the lyrics, but then if you, you know, edit them and make sure that I'm being right. Because I thought, oh, Taylor Swift would never get away, or I would never get away <laughs> with a song like this That's that's not absolutely precisely accurate from a dharmic perspective. So yeah. um, you, I'm giving, you her, I'm giving her some slack. <laughs> yeah, well, she doesn't have the benefit of of you as a songwriting companion. And it doesn't seem like she's trying to teach about karma in this. She's talking about her experience of it. That said, there are some lines that I thought were really quite darling. You will not be surprised to find that I really love the line about karma being the cat purring in my lap because it loves me. <laughs> that was something that I could relate to. And in a way, there's nothing inaccurate about that. If you have a cat or a dog or whatever pet or a child or a friend or all of the various things in our lives that we hold dear, these are one of the ways that karma manifests in our life. Mm-hmm. So yes, you could say that that is karma. There is that sense of understanding that the various things we experience are the fruits of karma. But then what I think the song misses is the way we respond to those fruits is laying the seeds for future karma. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I don't know anything about this feud thing that you mentioned, but if that has something to do with it, this is not the best way to process a difficult relationship, which is also like the cat purring in your lap, part of your karma. Just over the weekend, Tricycle Magazine highlighted our 59 Days of Healing series as a podcast series that no Buddhist listener should miss. If Taylor Swift is trying to understand karma, she might want to consider maxims from the series, from the Lojong practice of healing dualistic mind, such as Say nothing of others' feelings. Mind your own business. Detox your inner fuel. Stop competing for first place. Always meditate on whatever gets you worked up. Don't be a drama queen. Stop pushing people's buttons. Don't be so touchy. Get over yourself. You get the point. When we look at the tone of the song, assuming that 
we're supposed to take it at face value, which is a question itself, all of these principles of Buddhist practice would weigh against touting our good fortune and mining others' misfortune for our own titillation, which is yet another maxim. It's not the best way to respond. And by best, I mean it's not the most skillful or one that will allow you to operate in accord with karma. There's a sense in the song that feels like she has nothing to worry about. But actually, another one of the main principles of karma is that we're actually eating up that karma. We're consuming the karma for positive, pleasant experiences. And to some extent, that leaves unpleasant experiences to be experienced going forward. That is all very helpful. And I thought that those would be some of the kinds of things that you would say, but I knew that you would be able to actually articulate them in a way that would help to shed some light on these things. And I agree. Like, I think it's good that she did a song about karma because it does have people talking about it. Hopefully, you know, then it gives people an opportunity to, to learn more about it. I was curious about there's, there's this one line, karma's a relaxing thought. And cause I thought, all right, well, there, there is some stuff about our minds and how our minds operate that, that is, I think, connected to karma and to the kleshas as you were talking about. But I didn't think it was necessarily that karma is a relaxing thought, but that there are states of mind that can maybe help us to cultivate better karma in the future, perhaps. Anyway. That was another one of the lines that I enjoyed because there's actually, intentionally or not, a lot of complexity in that line. Mm -hmm. For example, you can interpret it from the angle of, when I have a relaxing thought, that is karma. Mm -hmm. And that's accurate. Mm -hmm. It's also accurate that when you have a not relaxing thought, that is karma. <laughs> Pretty much everything that we are experiencing, the ways we perceive things, which is another way of explaining thoughts, relaxing or otherwise, is a result of karma. What I understood her to say in that line is that for me, karma is relaxing because I don't have anything to worry about with karma. And the complexity there starts to wind through a lot of the other aspects of the song. Karma is sweet like honey on the positive side. It will track you down step to step and town to town, sweet like justice. This hits on one of the major misconceptions about karma. Karma, as the Buddha explained it, is not some abstract, impersonal force that's out there in the universe waiting to bear down on wrongdoers and uplift those who are wonderful because of some kind of essential wonderfulness about them. Mm -hmm. Karma is an exceedingly personally spiritual compound of things. It's more than anything, an instrument for our personal and spiritual development, and not so much some kind of intangible, I don't know, ghost of Christmas present or something that uh, comes down with rewards or punishment. It's not like that at all. It's cause and effect, but with a lot more complexity to it. It's not as simple as if I do this, then this specific thing will happen, as we mentioned earlier but that any number of different causes and conditions will create an atmosphere that makes a result more likely to happen. Why am I saying it that way? Because if we don't, then we have this idea, which I hear in this song, at least the way I heard it, that we're either golden with karma or we're not. 
And that's not how it works. Karma is not fate. It's not some kind of deterministic uh, principle. It's something that we are shaping moment to moment. We are with one hand experiencing the results of many, many causes and conditions that are, you could say, ready to burst onto the scene. In other words, every moment is pregnant with karma about to mature and how we engage with those particular causes and conditions is what has it mature in this way or that. So we still have agency. We still have some element of choice. At the same time, that karma does shape us. It does bring habitual imprints and tendencies to act in a certain way that may restrict the range of our choices if we don't have a spiritual practice or some other means of opening into that understanding and learning how we can use karma actively as a way of moving towards our highest aspirations in life and cultivating out of our lives the things that go against those highest aspirations. So I thought that was the biggest thing with the song. They had this sense of this sort of supernatural force that likes some and doesn't like others. And that is not at all how the Buddha explained karma. Mm -hmm. So there's this piece about karma ripening, that we have these opportunities to whatever whatever karma we we have. I don't know if cultivated is the right word, but you know, that, that things are ripening for us, but then we always have choices about what to do with that, you know? So whether it's sort of, you know, something that we experience as more negative is, is in our lives, we have choices about how we treat that. If there's something that we experience as more positive, we have choices about what to do with that. So I'm curious because seems like we're we're both talking about like the the tone of this, you know, lording your positive experiences over somebody else's negative ones, even if there's a feud or maybe especially if there's a feud is not the thing that's going to propel you into positive things in the future. So what do you do when things are going really well in your life and you've got things to celebrate and they're wonderful? What should you do with that? Number 1, cultivate humility. It's amazing when we encounter even one instance of positive experience. Many of us listening to the podcast, and certainly the two of us recording this podcast, have incredibly privileged existences, and not taking them for granted is one of the best things we can do. Having the humility of recognizing that these are the fruits of intentional actions by beings who shared our mind stream in previous lives, who have done what they could against all odds to set us up for these beautiful conditions in our life. Are we going to use those conditions like a gallon of ice cream when we're upset and just hog it all up on a Saturday afternoon? (laughs) Or are we going to use those conditions to continue to propel us forward in our spiritual development. So again, we're moving forward ourselves in the course of this life and also cultivating in our mind stream conditions that will allow the next being in line to inherit this mind stream, all of the conditions not only to enjoy life, but also to be able to encounter the Buddha Dharma, put it into practice, and eventually realize it. Because here's the big thing. When we're talking about liberation, when we're talking about bodhisattvas, arhats, buddhas, 
they didn't just overcome negative karma, unpleasant karma. They overcame karma altogether, be it pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Any karma, whether it feels good, bad, or indifferent, is a characteristic of the samsaric state. Liberation, Buddhahood, necessarily mean being free of karma. And not just, I get to keep this good karma and get rid of the bad karma. Mm. That's the issue with samsara, that the good karma leads to bad karma. And it just keeps going in a cycle. So from a Buddhist standpoint, liberation means being free of karma altogether. Letting go of all the karma. And even that dualistic mindset that says, this is good, this is bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other piece in terms of so if you're experiencing positive things, you know, then then what do you do with it? It also seems like you have compassion for people who who don't have as positive circumstances as you do. And if and if people are suffering, you you really try to keep your heart open to those people who are suffering rather than sort of delight in their misery. That's another big piece that I noticed. The quality of the tone is a little harsh, and it seems to be fairly marked by, let's just call it non-compassion. So Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people that we might get very upset about because we don't like their politics or because they're taking over the world and creating war, and we don't like that. It doesn't mean that we have to all of a sudden like their behavior, but When we hold an understanding of karma, but also an understanding of Buddha nature, that our true nature, our mind's inherent quality, is to be Buddha, then when we see someone who by nature is Buddha and is behaving in ways so totally contrary to that nature, this is a cause for heartbreak and compassion, not for harshness. The particular set of causes and conditions that this person experiences actually twisted to manifest in ways that are, to your mind, harmful, to another's, maybe not. Whatever those causes and conditions are, we don't have to go into exploring them. It should actually provoke compassion from a Buddhist standpoint. Now, that doesn't mean you don't go against what they're doing or you don't protest or that you all of a sudden come to believe the same way they do. On the contrary, all of those things are held at once in that sense of paradox where you recognize this individual whose nature is Buddha is behaving in ways completely contrary to that. And I can stand against that behavior and at the same time have heartbreak, compassion, and tenderness for that being who is going further and further into the depths of samsara. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's beautiful. The last thing that I wanted to make sure that we touch on is karma is a god. Thoughts on that line in particular? Yeah, that one could take hours, but (laughs) karma is not a god in the Buddhist understanding. At the time that the Buddha lived, it was a very different understanding of karma. It was more this sort of abstract and personal natural law, external ordering principle. Karma is not a god. Mm. Because of that inaccessibility, even when the Buddha tries to explain it, he is very careful to say, these are the principles of karma that are useful for your practice. Can't Mm -hmm. explain all there is to know about karma. 
Buddha famously said that only a fully enlightened Buddha is able to understand all of the workings of karma. Not a bodhisattva, not an arhat, only a fully enlightened Buddha is able to understand all the intricacies because it's so intermingled. So just Mm -hmm. think about it. Right now, we're experiencing the results of causes and conditions from a variety of various lifetimes. How we respond to it lays the causes and conditions for a variety of future results that we'll experience. And then along the way, there are similar moments that are ripening and laying the causes for past and future karma all the time. As a matter of fact, rather than karma is a god, you could say that each of us is a manifestation of karma because that's what's actually preventing us from being a manifestation of our Buddha nature, completely unveiled, completely without obstruction. It certainly is not a god. Thank you. Anything else, any other aspects of the song that you uh, wanted to comment on? Yeah, there was another point that I found really interesting. There was a line where she says, karma takes all my friends to the summit. I found that really interesting because now it's not just her own life that is gilded because how she seems to describe it is her relationship with karma. Me and karma vibe that. But now it's sort of spilling over onto others. Not a chance in the Buddhist Mm -hmm. understanding of karma. Karma only occurs for the actor of a particular intentional action. The results are never experienced by another being. We can't take on the karma of other beings. If that were possible, the Buddha would have taken on the karma of all of us and we'd all be done. It's not transferable that way. (laughs) Let's just put it like that. There were a couple of other lines that I found really intriguing. One was where she mentions, what have I learned from all these years, all these tears? That really resonated for me in the sense of karma as an instrument of development. We talked earlier about how we respond to situations in a way that is skillful and One of the things that we can do when we experience challenging conditions is precisely that, recognize that this is a result of karma. It's not something that's personal against you or a vendetta by some invisible force, but it is an opportunity to learn, to learn how karma is infallible in the sense that if we don't address it, it will be there until it meets the conditions to mature. So we can use positive, negative, and even neutral circumstances as opportunities to extend our understanding of karma in particular, or extend our understanding, plain and simple, of how to have a good and open heart. I also really was intrigued by the line, cash isn't the only price, because that also had a resonance to it that related to karma. For example, if you're tempted to engage in something that's less than savory and you know it, you can, in that moment, pause on that sort of fulcrum and recognize, oh, my tendency to take that lollipop out of the candy store, for example, is a result of karmic action where in this mind stream, there are seeds that are encouraging that kind of behavior. And I have in this moment the opportunity to either say, 
No, I'm going to break that habit, unravel that habit, or I'm going to pay the price of not doing that and continuing that strengthening of the habit, that snowballing of the habit, so that potentially it can get out of control. So I found that really interesting as well. The other thing I would mention again is that sense of justice and coming back around, which he mentions a couple of times, that sense of retribution or punishment. When the Buddha teaches about karma, it's not about some invisible monster that's out to get you and is going to track you down. By the same token, karma is inevitable. Unless we do something to address our karma, it will be there until it ripens. A lot of Buddhist practice is about precisely that, cultivating the conditions for positive karma to ripen, cultivating conditions for negative karma to purify, and most importantly, ultimately cultivating the conditions for being free of karma altogether, good, bad, or indifferent. Thank you so much, Yeshe. I want to appreciate Taylor Swift for putting a song out there that provided the opportunity for us to have this conversation about karma. And I and I really do hope that other people will take this opportunity to to learn more about karma and and open themselves up to understanding it in its full complexity. Me too. I also wanted to say, you know, for all we know, this is a very tongue-in-cheek song for her. That could explain a lot of the points that we were talking about today. Maybe the thing that this song talks about more than anything is what it is to be human. This has been Yeshe and Tanya for Praja Sparks. Be sure to join us next week on the full moon for a new episode of our Why Nirvana Matters series. We can't thank you enough for taking the time to like, follow, share, and review Prajna Sparks. It means a lot to us. If you have any questions, contact us via email, Instagram, or Facebook. Check the episode notes for those links and for more resources on today's topic. Visit us on the web at prajnafire.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Prajna Sparks. Thank you for listening. May all beings benefit.